Okay, maybe, uh, I don't think everybody on your table's had a chance to share their experience or their story. Uh, if a couple of people want to shout out answers, you're very welcome to do so now. What is the go- What were you taught the gospel uh, to be as you grew up? Anyone feeling brave enough to tell us? It's not a right or wrong answer thing. Don't worry, Misha. The accounts of Jesus' life from different perspectives. Yep, okay, good. Carry on. Anyone, any other suggestions? Okay, a change and a transformation that happens within us because of what Christ brings. Okay, good. The kingdom of heaven is within and around. Anything else? Yeah, power of God for everything and everyone. James? Yep. So I mean, there's a different perception from what the world may have as gospel as to what we have as gospel. Now, I grew up in a place, uh, and I came to faith. Uh, with the understanding that the gospel is the fact that I'm a sinner, uh, Jesus died for me, uh, if I turn to him and ask for forgiveness, I'll be forgiven uh, if I choose repentance, and then I will have life forever with Jesus. That, for me, was the gospel. But actually, as we've been exploring over the past few weeks, no one was brave enough to say it, uh, but we have been discovering that the gospel is so much more than that. We've reduced it down to the story of salvation, which is essential and is important in our faith, but it's not the gospel. It's not the whole gospel. We need to understand what we mean by the whole gospel. Now, Misha uh, began to hit it by saying it's different accounts of the story of Jesus. Now, in the time of the New Testament being formed and people referring to uh, what we refer to as the gospels, they would never have been referred to as the plural in that way with an S on the end. They were referred to as the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark and Luke and John and so on. It was seen as one story told from the perspective of four different people, from four different perspectives. But even that doesn't begin to go to explain what the gospel is. Described in the New Testament as good news, it's much bigger and broader than that. Because in in order to fully understand the gospel, you need the entire context that we've been given. The whole context from beginning to end. Genesis right through uh, to Revelation. Or certainly from the point of view of the writers uh, of the New Testament, they would have referred just as much to the Hebrew Scriptures as they would have done to the life and the accounts of Jesus. And Jesus himself, we know, also refers time and time again to the Hebrew Scriptures, to what has been handed down to him as a Jewish uh, boy growing up, that actually they would have memorised by the age of 14. Imagine that. Uh, but that's, uh, that's just what was understood. Now, they knew that the, the Hebrew Scriptures had been formed over many, many years and was given it as an account to tell the story of the people of Israel and their relationship with God. But whenever you see any New Testament writer referring to the Old Testament, referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, as is quoted hundreds of times in the Gospels and in Paul's writings, they are referring to what they consider to be an unfinished document. 
So although it's been collated and gathered to tell the story of Israel, they know it's an unfinished document. They know there's more to come. They know it kind of leaves you, in a way, on a little bit of a cliffhanger, waiting to see what's next. And so that's why every time they refer to it, they're saying that this unified story of the people of Israel is pointing ultimately to the person of Jesus. And let me prove it, is what they're saying, by calling in these Old Testament passages. In 1 Corinthians 15, considered to be the best summary of the gospel in scripture, Paul says, Christ revealed to us through the scriptures. And so he carries on then sharing uh, references back and forth uh, through the Hebrew scriptures to point to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus himself does the same thing. He refers to Old Testament, as we heard, the passage in Isaiah uh, speaks of this coming king, and then whenever Jesus gets up to speak, he says, and that's me. These scriptures attain to me, they point to me. And every time he did that, there would have been one or of two responses from the crowd around him. There would have been awe and wonder, or there would have been sheer anger and rage. There was never anything in between. At no point did Jesus say, these Old Testament scriptures point to me, and people around him went, oh, that's nice. That's nice, Jesus. Well, that's good, isn't it? Nobody responded like that. They either got absolutely outraged, or just full of awe and wonder. Now, I was... um, Originally not going to be preaching today. I, I, I asked Peter Owen Clark to do this particular sermon and he couldn't do it. Uh, and this week I was preparing this sermon while sat on a train. And I was overwhelmed by God on the train in a way that just, I just had to put my headphones in and worship. And I think I did it outwardly. I don't really know, don't really care. I probably got some funny looks. But this did inspire awe and worship in me because what we're looking at today is Jesus being the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus being the fulfillment of all that was written in those Hebrew scriptures, that unfinished document being found, its fulfillment being found in the person of Jesus. Now, I don't normally do magic tricks for grown-ups. And normally we reserve that for an all-age Sunday, but I'm going to do one this morning because it just helps to illustrate this, I think. Now, I need a volunteer. (laughs) Uh, I don't mind what age that volunteer is. Okay, uh, okay, uh, Matthew, let's see you. I'm going to give you a pen and a uh, Jonathan, sorry, a pen and a coin. I want you to sign that coin for me, okay? So we know it's definitely yours, and you can then show people that you've signed it. There's no cheating going on here. Now, the reason we're doing this is to say the likelihood of somebody fulfilling prophecy. Now, this is a, a nice bit of statistics for people who like maths and probability, uh, but I want to illustrate maths and probability, probability for those who don't like it, uh, because I think illustrating it... Have you signed it nicely? Yeah. So that is definitely your coin now. Okay, it's, uh, this, this, this is his and his alone. Uh, I don't know if you can see, but it says Jonathan there. He's written that very beautifully. Nice writing. And I want you to take that coin, just to... I'm not changing it. That's still your coin. And I want you to just place it in there for me. Okay. All right, now I've got here some more coins, quite a lot more coins, and I'm going to pour them all in there, okay, and I'm going to ask uh, Grace to just mix those around for me, just stir them around. Okay, now, there's about, about, I think about 300 coins in there, okay, so what are the chances of Jonathan pulling out his coin? Those of you who are, let's say there's 300 coins in there. One in 300. There's a one in 300 chance of Jonathan pulling out his coin. So in you go. 
Just choose a random coin. Yeah. Is it, he did put out the right kind of coin, but has it got his name on it? No. No. A one in 300 chances is unlikely. It's possible, I'll be honest. It is. <laughs> it is possible to do it, but it's unlikely. Uh, but to make it possible, I have to cheat and have to use special tricks to do it. The chances are unlikely. Now, I want you to think about somebody's life having prophecies spoken over them before they're born. Let's imagine before you were born, somebody said over your life, oh, when they're born, they're going to be born here. They're going to do this. They're going to live in this place. They're going to grow up. They're going to do this job. They're going to have this many children and so on. Let's say somebody speaks those things over your life. The chance of one person fulfilling eight prophecies in their lifetime is one in a hundred followed by 16 zeros. I don't know the number because I don't think it really has a name. It's a lot. <laughs> it's not very likely. Let me illustrate it a different way. If we took Jonathan's coin and found enough coins the same, exactly the same, without the signature on, to fill an area the size of Texas three feet deep, it's the equivalent of him walking into Texas and finding it first time. That's how likely it is for one person to fulfill eight prophecies in their lifetime. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. 300 prophecies that he had no control over. Well, obviously, we're going to come to that in a minute. He did have full control over. But as a human would have no control, he couldn't control where he would be born. And this is the one that I think inspires me the most because obviously Mary and Joseph don't live anywhere near Bethlehem. They, 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 they don't live in Bethlehem when, when Jesus is conceived and all those things. But the prophecies say that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. And it just so happens that a ruler at the time wants to do a census and people have to go back to where they were, where were they from. Where were they from? Oh, Bethlehem. <laughs> so they had to go to Bethlehem in order for that prophecy to be fulfilled. There are prophecies about where he would be born, who he would be born to, his entry into Jerusalem, the many things that he did, his rejection by others and the betrayal that led to the cross. His actual trial was prophesied and the crucifixion itself, almost down to every word that Jesus speaks on the cross. His resurrection, his ascension, and yet waiting to see his coming again in glory, all prophesied through the Old Testament all prophesied through the Hebrew scriptures. And when I came to realise, okay, we know that Jesus isn't a normal person, so that whole probability thing falls short completely because this is God we're talking about and he doesn't answer to probability. He answers to the miraculous. And that's what this whole thing about Jesus being the fulfilment of prophecy is, is it's incredibly miraculous. To think that one person can fulfil over 300 prophecies in their lifetime... For me, those people who say, oh, maybe the Bible's just made up by somebody, I don't think you could make that kind of stuff up. I mean, even the most mathematical brain in the world couldn't make stuff like that up, let alone the fact the scripture was clearly written over many decades and hundreds of years and all those things. But actually, that, you know, it just adds validity. And when I just came to that point of saying, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of prophecy, I was just lost in awe and wonder and worship of who Jesus really is. This is the, the Son of God, the light of the world, the Word of God that we've been exploring over the past few weeks has fulfilled all those promises spoken of Him. 
Yet there are still some who didn't recognize him for who he was or rejected him for who he was. As I said, it tended to inspire either awe or anger, but never anything in between. And so what I want to do is I want to speak this morning to the people who are in between right now. Who maybe you've come to a point in your faith and you thought, well, Jesus, yeah, well, that's nice. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for me on the cross. You see, I I think far too many people fall in love with what Jesus has done for them rather than who he is. I mean, what he's done for us is incredible. Don't let me take that away. But just think for a moment who he is. The one who flung stars into space and knows them by name. The one who spoke life into being. This is the one who is the fulfillment of all those prophecies. And why? Because God wants us with him. God wants that relationship with us. And I love this whole kind of thing that God created time for us. As a construct for our brains to comprehend. You know, time, God doesn't need time. God stands outside of time and and in time and around time and created time for us. And I love this whole concept when people are saying, why is it when everything started to go wrong, God took so long to send Jesus? Well, in my mind, the God who stands outside of time sent Jesus straight away. The moment it all went wrong, he sent Jesus. And our time tells us that took a few thousand years. And there are things that we can learn and we can gain from that. And one of them is this sense of awe and wonder that in that time, people were foretelling of this coming king. And in Jesus, we see him, the fulfillment of these prophecies. That, for me, inspires awe and worship more than had he come straight away. I hope that, I mean, other people may disagree, but that, for me, inspires awe and worship more, that through this time, this construct of time, God is doing something incredible, revealing this plan to draw us back into that right relationship with him. And the fact that he died for us on the cross is the thing, yes, that makes that possible. It's so central. But in order to understand the whole gospel, we need the whole gospel from beginning to end. We need the context of what Jesus has come into uh, to save us. And these prophecies just inspire us, I think, inspire our worship all the more. So if you are here this morning and in any way your relationship with Jesus has become, oh Jesus, that's nice, then I want to encourage you again to look at the prophecies that Jesus refers to. Look again at the prophecies that the New Testament writers refer to to show who Jesus is and let that inspire your awe and your wonder and your worship of who it is we're here for right now and even more from that, who's here for us. And then even more incredibly, that same Christ, that same fulfilment of prophecies is in you and you are in him. I mean, come on. <laughs> I would just think about that for a moment. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the fulfillment of prophecy, so that we can be in that relationship with God, so that God can see us the way he's always intended to see us. It was his. We're his. 
amazing is that? And so, sat on that train, (laughs) this was more than just preparing a sermon. This inspired worship for me. And I really, really pray it does for you as well. That it just does something deep within your spirit to say, you know what, Christ is enough for me. We were singing Christ is enough for me. Now, if it was just about the cross, then all you could sing is Christ is enough for my salvation. But in the context of the whole gospel you realise Christ really is enough for you. For everything. Everything you need is in him. Everything you need. So let us, as we reread the Gospels again, uh, let that inspire our worship. Now, I haven't had a chance to check with Phil, but I think the plan for the evening service tonight, um, I I hope the plan, we we talked about it, if it's not tonight, we're going to do it soon was to read through the whole of John's Gospel together out loud. Um, and uh, whether we do it tonight or whether we do it another time, it's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> uh, and I highly commend you coming tonight in case we do it tonight. Uh, or next week. Yes, it is tonight. So tonight, uh, 6 o'clock at All Saints, we're going to read through the whole of John's Gospel together. We think it's going to take just over an hour. Um, and as you do that, and if you're not there to do it tonight, sit down this afternoon, pouring rain, you don't want to go out anywhere, just sit down with a cup of tea, read John's Gospel, keep an eye out for where Jesus refers to the Old Testament or where the writer does, and just let that inspire your worship and your awe and wonder of who we're here for and who's here for us, but more than that, who is in you and you are in Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. Before we pray, we're going to sing a new song. Um, which does a beautiful thing of summing up the fact that the gospel is more than just the cross. Um, And hopefully we'll just inspire us.